Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. We were driving south from Tucson, Arizona on a dry, hot evening in mid-June when we saw a man on the side of the road. We stopped to see if he needed help. And one of my companions spoke to the stranger first in English, then in Spanish, explaining that we were volunteers with a humanitarian group called No More Deaths, No Mas Muertes, and that we helped people in the desert who might need food, water, medical attention. Did he need any of these? The stranger who I'll call Carlos, sounded and looked exhausted. Carlos told us that he had been walking through the desert for days, lost. For two days, he hadn't had anything to eat or drink, and he hadn't slept. We were filled with a fearsome gratitude to have met Carlos when we did we were able to offer him the care that he needed. But what if Carlos had not found a road in the midst of this desert? Or if we had not stopped? What then? No More Deaths runs a desert aid camp about 20 miles north of the U.S.-Mexico border. The camp has a medical tent, a kitchen, and crates upon crates of water. From May to October, volunteers live at the desert aid camp and go out on daily search patrols, looking for travelers in need of food, water, medical care. And in summer of 2008, I spent a week volunteering with No More Deaths living at this camp And that is how I came to meet Carlos. Carlos spent several days at the No More Deaths Desert Aid Camp, regaining his strength. And while he was there, he shared some of his story. Carlos, we found, had grown up in a small town in Guatemala. He dropped out of school when he was about 10. He needed to go work to help his family. But as he grew up, there was no more work in his town. So several years ago, he crossed multiple borders to find work here in the United States of America. The summer that I met Carlos, he had traveled south to go home to Guatemala to see his father who was ill and dying. Thankfully, Carlos was able to spend time with his extended family, with his father. He was there when he died, 
and he was there for the funeral. And after the funeral, Carlos began a journey north to go home to suburban Washington, D.C., where he lived with his wife and their three-year-old daughter. He and his wife were undocumented immigrants, and their daughter was an American citizen. Carlos didn't have the necessary paperwork to cross into America at an authorized checkpoint, but he did have a family to come home to, so he took the risk of crossing the desert. It's hard for me to imagine the decisions that Carlos had to make that summer. Can you? Can you imagine risking a permanent separation from your spouse to travel home to see a dying parent? Can you imagine risking your own life in dangerous terrain in order to return home to see your child? And can you imagine coming upon a group of compassionate strangers after wandering alone in the desert for days? Now, a hike in the Sonoran Desert of southern Arizona is not something I'd recommend for the unprepared. Winter nights are surprisingly cold, and summer days are blisteringly hot. The desert is beautiful, but it is also dangerous. And nearly 20 years ago, the desert was transformed into a weapon. You see, in the mid-1990s, border enforcement strategies adopted a policy of deterrence. Border security was dramatically increased in urban areas, and patterns of human migration were funneled into the dangerous desert terrain of Arizona. Since then, 6,000 people are believed to have died crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. 6,000 people. Death has become part of this policy of deterrence. So how do we respond to this reality? How do we respond as people of faith and conscience? Now, a great teacher, Jesus, is said to have said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you made me welcome. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me in prison. Truly, I tell you, just as you did this to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now, for over 10 years, faith communities in Arizona have responded to the humanitarian crisis of deaths in the desert. 
with this sort of compassionate response. Food, water, a place to rest, clean socks, and a listening presence. And volunteering with No More Deaths has taught me that this is holy work. When we recognize and respond to the needs of another person, we can recognize the divine in each of us. We can hear the story of a person lost, far away from their loved ones. We can receive that story as a sacred gift, a gift of trust. My work in the desert has taught me to approach immigration as a moral issue by continuing to remember the human experiences of immigration. Now, our Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Let this be one of the markers on our moral compass. Let this principle guide our response to the human realities of immigration. And what would our immigration system look like if it affirmed justice, equity, and compassion in human relations? What would need to change? Over 11 million undocumented immigrants live in the United States of America. Over 11 million people live in a precarious circumstances on the margins of our society. Undocumented immigrants work, but they have limited access to the protection of labor laws and are often exploited. Undocumented immigrants pay taxes, but they won't receive social security payments. Undocumented immigrants go to school, they go to college, but can't receive federal student aid. And undocumented immigrants worry that deportations might separate them from their families and their communities. They worry that their children might grow up without parents. And this marginalization, it can be a stepping stone to dehumanization. So our work, our work must begin by remembering each other's humanity. So a simple and yet challenging action where we can begin to take on this work is to be careful with our language, refusing to label another person as illegal and instead choose terms such as undocumented immigrant. And this practice will change how we think, how we feel. And when we have the courage to ask our friends, our coworkers, our family and neighbors, our newspapers and media sources to change their language, then our society will have to really think 
about what we are saying. We will have to remember our shared humanity. Our Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to remember this humanity, to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. So when we see injustice, inequality, and cruelty, we have a moral imperative to respond. When border enforcement strategies result in the deaths of 6,000 human beings, immigration is a moral issue. When economic inequalities compel people to travel to another land, immigration is a moral issue. When undocumented workers face exploitive and dangerous working conditions in our own cities, immigration is a moral issue. And when deportations separate children from their parents, immigration is a moral issue. This summer, I traveled back to Arizona and the Mexico border with members of the Boston New Sanctuary Movement for a week-long service learning trip. And one evening, we helped serve dinner at the Comidor, a soup kitchen in Nogales, Mexico. The Comidor provides meals for people who have been recently deported. And the people they serve at the Comidor have been residing in the U.S. for an average of nine and a half years before being deported. Many of them, like us, have lives rooted in the U.S. They have jobs, they have children, they have church communities. And on this night, a group of about 35 men and eight women gather around tables and benches. Many of them will be attempting to cross the border again, perhaps traveling like Carlos through that desert terrain. Before the food is served, one of the nuns who helps run the comidor gives a welcome in Spanish. And one of my traveling companions translates this for me, whispering into my ears as the nun talks with great passion. She says, there are people on the other side of this border who haven't treated you well. People who have called you illegal and treated you like you are worthless, less than human. The gathered group is listening to her with their full attention. You are not worthless, she tells them. You are people. You matter. And there are people, she continues, there are people in the north on the other side of this border who care about you as well. She looks at us and says, Some of those people are volunteering here tonight. Gathered in that room, we could feel our humanity. There was sadness, and there was struggle, and fear, and anger, but there was also hope 
and gratitude. The nun asked if there was a pastor present that could offer a prayer before eating, and my traveling companion agreed to serve as a translator as I invited us to pray. Spirit of life, great and loving God, God of mercy, as we eat this food prepared by loving hands, be present with us. May we know your presence. May we know your love. May we know that you care for us. And knowing that you, God, care for us, may we care for ourselves and one another. Silently, I add, may the love which knows no borders see us all safely through the deserts of our lives. Friends on the journey, may we seek to understand the human realities of immigration in our communities. May we honor one another's humanity. And may we strive to build a world where justice, equity, and compassion cross all borders. May it be so. Amen. And blessed be.